<笑>鬼岛之音 ，Ghost Island Media。What can I do to bring as much nutrition as much health back into my body? Meet my box. My grew up in Orange County. She's the owner of Uchacha. It's the first vegan restaurant in Taiwan to be B Corp certified. I see a sauce over the quinoa and rice.、It、looks delicious. I mean, can I give it a try? This is Myra Alvarado, Deputy Economic Officer at the American Institute in Taiwan. Like my Myra loves plant-based food, is a first-generation American, and also grew up near Los Angeles. Welcome to the AIT podcast from the American Institute in Taiwan and Ghost Island Media. We're here to talk about everyone's favorite topic, food. In each episode, we'll discuss with a special guest food from an American city. Today, we head to OC, Orange County, in California. I'm Mai, and I've been in Taiwan for a little while now. I'm originally from Orange County, so I was born and raised there. Hi, my name is Mai Ravarado, and I'm excited to talk today about Orange County with Mai. Mai, so I have to be honest with you. I don't think I've really been to Orange County. <laughs> I'm from Highland Park,、um, but that said, I have a lot of friends from Orange County, and I feel I know the place. I just haven't physically been there for. Can you tell me a little bit about Orange County and yourself? Sure. I think a lot of people's first thought or impression, especially if you're around like 30, is the show The OC. So whenever I mention Orange County, it's like, oh, you're from the OC. I was like, yes, but I try not to refer to that because <laughs> the show is definitely not a representation of how I grew up.、Um, I grew up more in like the city of Orange. So、mm. what that show depicts is more of like the beach cities,、yeah. which we do have, and they're beautiful.、Mm-hmm. But that's definitely not like re- representative of the whole county. And so a lot of people don't realize because we're kind of sandwiched in between Los Angeles,、mm-hmm. which everyone knows about, and then San Diego, which is probably another big Southern California city, where we're kind of right in the middle. And so not a lot of people are really familiar with Orange County, and it's a really great place to grow up. It's very safe. You know, if you've ever heard of like the city of Irvine,、mm-hmm. it's one of the safest cities in the U.S. So a lot of immigrant and refugee families flock、mm-hmm. there because they're hoping to give their children and their family a better life. So when they hear about like the safest cities, you're gonna go straight for Orange County.、I、can definitely relate. I think a lot of people when they ask me, "Oh, where are you from in LA?" they think of Hollywood and the beaches and everything.、And、I'm like, "Well, I'm close enough to the beaches. I'm 20, 30 minutes away. Highland Park is that far from the beach, but it's not exactly your Hollywood glamorous life that you think of. It is a very Diverse society and a very diverse community where you can find a lot of different types of food, which I'm very interested in talking to you about. So, going on your point about Orange County, and you know, Orange County has the biggest Vietnamese population outside of Vietnam, largely due to the war, the Vietnam War, and the influx of refugees coming from Vietnam. Can you tell me more about that? I'm also a first-generation American, so very much relate to the experience. But how did your family get to Orange County? Yes,、yeah, so I'm also first generation. My mom fled after the war, so she is from the middle region of Vietnam、mm-hmm. called Da Nang,、mm-hmm. and my family was on the side of the South, and that's who my dad fought for. And after the fall, obviously, many people were trying to decide whether they were going to stay or whether they were going to leave, and so my mom made the decision to take my four-year-old sister, and she was pregnant at the time with my brother, eight or nine months pregnant. 
um, and take the journey on, you know, the boat. So she was a boat person, as you've seen those images that depicted that time. She made the journey over to the U.S. Unfortunately, she did go into labor while she was crossing. You know, it's funny because I've asked my sister about this because I've wanted to know more. And I think I'm the youngest of four. So I don't get to like hear a lot of the stories because I think there's still like a lot of trauma there and they're not ready to talk about it yet. So my sister, I've asked her when I was older, I was like, do you remember the journey over? And she'll just point blank tell me no. She has like no memories of it. And I can see how deeply it affected her because she really doesn't remember anything around that time. And my mom to this day will not go to a beach. Like, she won't go to open water. Really? Yeah. And she actually hates flying as well. So, you know, I can see it kind of, like, ripple through my family. My brother was actually born in international waters. So for a long time, he used to joke growing up. He'd be like, you know, I'm a citizen of nowhere. No (laughs) rights. No one would protect me. But it's really cute. He ended up taking his citizenship test with my mom. Oh, did he? Like in his 20s. Yeah. So he helped my mom study. She was learning English for it. And then they became citizens together. So it was pretty cute, like family memory. For sure. For us. That's really incredible journey and also a very traumatic story, right? I mean, my dad's from Guatemala and mm. he came during the Civil War. And likewise, for many years, he would never talk about it. And he would never want me to go to Guatemala because it was just really a difficult experience to talk about. But I feel that that's the United States, right? A lot of different communities and immigrant groups, you know, even till today that are coming to the U.S. because of the whole of giving their children a better life and also having the opportunity to grow up in a community where they can thrive based on who they are. So that is amazing. And the fact that we're here in Taiwan now <laughs> and being able to have this conversation is a testament to that. So There's incredible. a different level because like my mom, when she heard I was coming to Taiwan to like live for a year and teach English, she's like, you know what I had to do to get away from that side <laughs> of the world? I was like, yes, but mom, I got to, you know, something is pulling me back. I gotta yeah. go. And so obviously it's been a long time now. And but in the beginning, yeah, she would joke. She'd be like, I can't believe you're staying there. Like, <laughs> you know, and she has the memories of when she was growing up, yeah, right? And so course. even visiting Vietnam, it's so, so different, yeah. you know, from 30 years ago. Yeah. And so she still has like very strong reactions and memories to that. So I hope she goes back to visit Vietnam this coming year and Mm -hmm. actually spend more time, you know, visiting her side of the family and reconnecting to it and hopefully creating new memories around like her home country. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Um, And I must say that my introduction to Asia was actually in Vietnam. That was the first place uh, I came to and I was lucky because I actually, one of my good friends, her family also had fled. And so it was her first time coming back to Vietnam and meeting her other side of the family that she had always heard about but never met. And it was like really incredible to be able to discover Vietnam. And we went to that now with her and her family through this experience of like re-seeing another part of her history and her family's past that she really didn't know much about. So incredible connection there. Yeah, it's interesting to like live in this kind of interconnected space, right? Yeah. And so going back a little bit to Orange County, like was the community that you grew up in Orange County, like primarily Vietnamese or was it a mixed community? 
you know, immigrants, refugees don't always get to live in the nicest areas mm-hmm. of any part of any country. Yeah. So specifically the area where the Vietnamese refugees settled wasn't always the safest or cleanest mm-hmm. or had the best school. So my mom fought really hard to move my siblings and I to a more suburban area mm-hmm. of Orange County. Mm-hmm. So we are really lucky. The Vietnamese community is predominantly in an area called Garden Grove, Fountain mm-hmm. Valley. And she moved us to the city of Orange closer to like Tustin Ranch area. Okay. So just close enough to like better schools and what she felt in her mind was safer. She was a single mom of four. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't be with all of us all the time. She had to work. It gave her some peace of mind to know that at least the neighborhood we were living in, yeah, I could just walk to school. It was safe. Yes, 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 yes. One of the things that about moving in the States is that, yes, you might move away from the center, the downtown area that it tends to be hustling and bustling and busy, but also, as you you know, noted, uh, dangerous. But you have all of these flavors and all of these restaurants, like your community right there. But when you move away, it's difficult to access some of the food and the products that would normally make you feel and remind you of home. Was that the case in this new community that you moved to? Did you have Vietnamese stores or like food that you felt like, okay, I can make the food that makes me feel that I'm home, even though you had moved to a different area? Well, luckily, the community, like Orange County is not quite as sprawling as like LA or LA County. Like LA, if you've ever looked at LA or LA (laughs) County on a map, it's huge. It's so, so big. So when you're talking about Los Angeles, you're just like, no, that's like an hour away from me, right? Um, Orange County is much smaller. So my house was probably a 15 to 20 minute drive away from like the center of the Vietnamese community, which is called Little Saigon. Like people just know it as that. Love it. Right. And so um, it's just the epicenter of food. The predominant language there is Vietnamese. Mm -hmm. It's maybe changing now, but yeah, growing up, if you went there, you were probably using Vietnamese first. And so grocery stores were all geared towards that, like 99 Ranch Market, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, like all the different grocery stores. And so actually, it's pretty funny where I grew up is actually closer to the Mexican community. Really? So we always had like taquerias and everything. And so it's just like such an exchange of cultures. Your mom was a single mom. It seems like we have a lot of things in common. Likewise, my mom was a single mom with three kids. Did she cook all the time? Did you, you know, did your sister or your older siblings help? What role did like food and home cooked meals like play in that process? My mom definitely would cook like on the weekends and whenever she had time, she would just do like huge batch cooking Mm -hmm. and then we'd kind of have it through the week. And then if we did run out of food, my sister did pick up the slack. And so... There was just like a lot happening in the house in terms of food. But also my house specifically is very close to the Mexican-American community. So we had like such good Mexican food. We could go get takeout really easily. Same with the Vietnamese community. Like if we wanted to drive like 15, 20 minutes, we could just stock up on food from all the restaurants that were there. So, yeah, there was a lot of good food. And also my mom is very religious. She's Buddhist. And so she would help out at the temple a lot. And she became kind of like the head chef of the kitchen. So she was there every weekend as well, preparing food for all the people that came for service. And then she would bring the leftovers home. So I always loved Buddhist vegetarian. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about that. You moved to Taiwan and explored Asia from 2008 to 2011. And it was during that time that you started having a chance to taste different types of Asian cuisine. And then, you know, around that time also decided to become vegetarian. Is that right? Yeah. So I always dabbled with being vegetarian as a kid, but I think it's really hard for you to like take a stand and be like, this is the way I'm going to (laughs) eat. I tried my best to become vegetarian at certain points when I was growing up. I just always had a really strong connection with animals and Mm -hmm. always thought about it when I was eating animal products. I, from a young age, I could never eat any kind of seafood. Mm -hmm. It made, it actually would make me like nauseous and vomit. I mean, my mom is from like an ocean community (laughs) in Vietnam and she'd be, she was baffled. She's just like, you are the only one in the family who has this reaction. We're literally boat people. We grow up near the ocean. The seafood aversion was very weird. It was like very (laughs) bizarre. And my sister like only eats seafood. Yeah. So for me, it was almost like, obviously, this is like the natural progression as an adult. I would go this way. But it really, everything kind of clicked for me when I read a book called Eating Animals. Mm, and Tell me more about that. It's by Jonathan Safran Foyer and normally a fiction writer. And he, at the time, just had his first child. And he started having these questions around, what do I feed my yeah, child? You yeah, know, like, yeah. what's the best way to do this? And so he went on a three-year journey of investigative journalism into, you know, like PETA and different organizations and doing interviews and kind of figuring out what is going on with our food system. Right. And he kind of shares all of that in this book called Eating Animals. I really liked it because he doesn't actually necessarily give you a solution. He actually gives you perspectives from vegan dairy farmers, Mm. vegan cattle farmers. You know, he kind of goes the whole spectrum to get a really clear picture of like, not just the animals, but the people who are also in our food system, Mm. Mm -hmm. the workers, like what is it like to work in a slaughterhouse? Mm. What kind of damage does that do to you to take that home every day? And so he tells these stories and they are super compelling So Uh, were you reading this book while you were on your journey in like Asia? It was our second year in Taiwan and we were just preparing to go on a six month backpacking trip. Yeah. And so I read this book right before we left (laughs) and it like changed my whole mind. I was just like, oh, I can't look at these things. I can't like, what am I doing? Yes. So I had made the decision to just like, we just went cold turkey because I couldn't look at meat without like crying. But the problem with that is, You can't just completely shift or change something you've been doing your whole life without some kind of knowledge Mm -hmm. or learning or Mm -hmm. thinking about what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I had taken basically all the animal products out of my diet, but hadn't really thought about, okay, so then what do I need instead of that? And then we were, you know, poor backpackers (laughs) for six months (laughs) trying to figure out how we were going to stretch our money as far as possible. And so that it was you know, a language thing. It was a culture thing. It was a financial thing. I ended up eating like a lot of noodles, a lot of refined carbs, not too many veggies, barely any protein. So you can imagine after six months of that, it starts to take a toll on your body. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I see here that we have actually are really, really lucky because talking (laughs) about like amazing food and the importance of food and healthy food, once you make that switch is also finding 
food that is plant-based, but that is also nutritious for your body. And really looking after it and taking almost like a global perspective and recognizing that each of these different communities that, you know, that they do have very much plant-based foods um, and incorporating that to be able to provide that same amount of protein that meat would otherwise um, provide. So tell me a little bit of how then, you know, you made this transition and then you started your restaurant or like when did that happen? Yeah, so I made the switch to vegetarian and then very quickly after the backpacking trip switched to like I went the whole other end of the spectrum. I went raw. plant-based vegan like whole food (laughs) plant-based vegan I was just like what have I done to my body what can I do to like bring you know like as much nutrition as much health back into my body and so it led me to this movement of like raw food whole food plant-based cooking so I learned a lot you know dipping my toes (laughs) into that (laughs) diet but it was so difficult and for me I just found I crave really hot food sometimes and very warm foods and um, you know the foods that I grew up with it was just very hard for me to like not have that connection and so I moved away from like the very extreme diet with boundaries like really strict and kind of just incorporated some of those things into my diet and the thing that I stick with is this idea of green smoothies Mm. which we do have one in front of us and it's The philosophy is like super simple behind it. Mm, It smells so fresh. Really leafy raw greens, fresh vegetables and fresh fruits. And then you blend them in a really high powered blender too. The key to that was just, you know, breaking the cell walls of the drink of all the fruits and vegetables to really kind of release the nutrients into your smoothie. So that was kind of the key part of the learning about that. And it also makes like a really smooth smoothie. So this is chia base seeds. And yeah, then, so that okay. one is our body boost. Oh, it's great. Thanks. Oh, my God. It should be really refreshing. It is very refreshing, very, you know, fragrant. It's almost like a little bit tingling as well. Is that the chia seeds or what is that? That's the turmeric. Oh, the turmeric. Yeah, no that's wonder. the fresh turmeric in there. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Very tasty. Yeah, I can feel the turmeric. <laughs> yeah, so that one has a ginger, turmeric, wow. kiwi, pineapple, and apple. Okay. And then we do with the chia seeds, and we also add into all of our smoothies a little bit of a boost, and we use a lot of adaptogens. So like pulling from like um, Ayurveda and like Chinese medicine philosophies to kind of just give you that little extra if you're needing help. Yeah. 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 So that one has Tulsi or holy basil. Okay. An extract that's actually made by an herbalist in Taichung. Wow. Yeah. Did you come up with these recipes on your own? Like all of those things, a lot of research in the beginning, obviously I was a beginner and then just had to do a lot of reading online Mm -hmm. and then experimenting at home. So then taking that knowledge and then applying it to the produce that's available here in Taiwan, a little bit tricky, a little bit different, right? (laughs) Like, can I blend this green? I don't know. What does it taste like? Is it bitter? Is it super thick? Let's see. So yeah, I probably tested 
every green available <laughs> here. And yeah, some are much better than others, but there are some yeah. really amazing produce here yeah. on the island. So yeah. tell me, uh, we also have two different plates here, right? And yes. um, and so this one is it, so it's rice, like whole grain rice, and is it quinoa as well? Or yes, so we okay. do use a locally grown organic brown rice, mm, and then great. we use mm-hmm. uh, tricolor quinoa. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Which unfortunately is not local because it is a little bit harder to find. And you also have a lot of some mushrooms here that seem to have been grilled. Is that right? Or? Those ones are okay. sautéed. Sautéed. Yeah. Okay. And then um, also, let me see. I see a sauce over the quinoa and rice. It looks delicious. I mean, can I give it a try? Yes. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> so that that is our Mediterranean bowl. Oh. I know it's kind of, uh, mm. it's not like great to call something mm. Mediterranean because it's like such a big region. Oh my God, it's amazing. So the sauce that you're eating is muhammara. So it's like a Syrian dip that's made with uh, roasted red bell peppers, walnuts, um, some homemade like whole wheat breadcrumbs, and then you just... Add a little bit of pomegranate molasses in there to yeah. give a little bit of sweetness. And then okay. we did it with, you know, roasted zucchini, cucumber, a little bit of lemon if you want yes. to freshen it up. It's filling, but it's light. Yeah. Yes. No, it's really tasty. It's delicious. So tell me about your other dish that you have over there. So I see a green paste and I was wondering, I was like, is that guacamole? Is that uh, pea like, paste? Uh, it's a fake stuff? out. It's okay. trying to be. Okay, so, tell me, tell me, so, tell me more know, about it. Uh, so this is our uh, buffalo tofu bowl. Okay. So the green sauce that you're looking at mm-hmm. is what I call edamole. <laughs> So I wasn't too far off. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you were. You were. That's what we were going for. That's okay, definitely what I was go going ahead. for. So obviously, avocados are not available all year round in Taiwan, and only recently has like really fatty varieties been available. Mm. So a lot of people rely on imported avocados, and avocados themselves are really water-intensive crops. So there's a lot of discussions around how environmentally friendly they are. So I wanted to try to move away from it, but. Still give you the sensation yeah. of guacamole. So, because obviously I grew up in Southern California and it's yes. like, oh, you guacamole is avocados everywhere, right? Avocados yes. falling into like the street. There's just like avocados everywhere. Yes. So, I decided to kind of make something like an edamame mash that okay. was like really full of protein. And use that as a base because it's green, it's similar, and really just give you the flavors that you mm-hmm. would normally get in like guacamole. So, yeah. yeah. And the base as well is rice, uh, um, brown rice, brown and, quinoa, rice yeah. and quinoa. And is this tofu? Or is this? Yeah. Uh, so that's mm-hmm. our tofu, our firm tofu that we battered great. in chickpea flour. Oh, wow. And we use a local hot sauce mm. from Empress Hot Sauce. Oh, yes, of course. We love them. And so we use a special like <laughs> buffalo blend that they they've made and developed and it's so so good and I love that they're using local produce so we try to stay as close to like the community and the local community as possible. What other big challenges have you faced like has the community in Taiwan been very receptive to vegan food? Um, It's you know Taiwan has one of the densest vegetarian populations, right? So there is a very strong already history and culture of Buddhist vegetarianism. I love the vegetarian buffets here. I love, love, love them. There's vegetarians buffets here? I didn't realize that. Yeah, you know, like the pay by weight? Yes, you're so right. Yeah, Yeah. so like they're (laughs) usually all Buddhist establishments, which means that they don't do any onion and garlic. The definition is a little bit, um, it can change. 
depending on who you talk to, the use of milk and eggs is more personal. It doesn't really fall under the label. So that's why I always say it's Buddhist vegetarian. Yeah. It's not strictly vegan all the time. The part that they're strict about is the allium family. They do Mm -hmm. not use anything in the allium family, meaning garlic, onion, leeks, shallots. So anything from that allium family is off limits. Can you tell me a little bit more of how Ucha Cha, like your restaurant? Um, my understanding is it's the first B Corp certified vegan restaurant in Taiwan. Um, so what is B Corp certified business? What does that really mean? So B Corporation is an organization and certification that started in the U.S. And companies like the most famous, and I think the case study for B Corporation certification is Patagonia. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like one of the leaders, the like early adopters of this certification. And the certification looks at five different aspects of your business. It's not just about environmental impact. It's about governance within your company as well. And it's how you interact with your customers, your supply chain, and your workers. So environmental sustainability is a huge part of it, Mm -hmm. but it's not all of it. Hmm. And so I love that it's like a really holistic certification that really makes you look at every part of your company. And are you trying to do what is best? So it's... Motto is business for good. Oh, so it's not like a legal standing. It's more a certification akin to like an organic certification. Okay, but with any certification, obviously there's issues and problems. There's no, I think, perfect certification. I looked at it more as one. I could really audit what we were doing Mm -hmm. and look at what are some good practices that are like a standard across these businesses? And can we implement them? Are we implementing them? Are we thinking about these things? So that's why I pursued the certification. So we started the process in 2019, and it took about nine months. Wow. Which is actually very short. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Well, kudos to you. (laughs) I know. After nine months, I was like, oh my God, is this over? Yeah, it's just like Excel on top of Excel and like research and like... um, evidence. And so, and it was a little bit hard because by the time we were ready to really hand in everything, the pandemic has started. So we had to do everything virtually. And so it was a lot more paperwork. So the due diligence part is really intense, but it's a really great way to audit your company. It's really a good way for you to understand the ins and outs of your company. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And learn about like different practices and what other people are doing and like what they would consider like a basic, a baseline of what is good. Well, that's amazing. I'm glad that you pursued it. I mean, and you can tell by the products that you're putting forward here in terms of what your philosophy about food, about how you look at your community. I mean, it just shows that that you have sustainability completely in mind in terms of both how you work with your customers and how you work with your um, the folks that work with you. So that's incredible. So I know that, you know, we've chatted a, quite a bit about Orange County, but as I said, you know, I've never been. If I do, you know, once I go back to the U.S., I'm definitely going to go. But where should I go in Orange County and how to navigate it? Because as you mentioned, L.A. is already a big place. Um, I tend to love to stay in my little nook of L.A. and visit all my favorite places. But tell me about your favorite places in Orange County so that next time I might venture over. You know, what's funny. It's like I've actually spent almost my whole adult life in Taiwan now. Wow. And (laughs) I became vegan here. So 
when I go home, I only get like few chances to test out some of the new restaurants because often I'm eating with my family. I'm spending as much time with my family as possible. So it's so interesting because I have to do research before like I go back home and I'm like, okay, which which restaurants am I going to hit with my very limited meal times, right? There's a really famous one in Fountain Valley. So oh, okay. kind of very close to, you know, the Little Saigon area yeah. is called Ao Lac. And it's a Vietnamese plant-based restaurant. And it kind of kicked off the movement in that area. It's very famous. It started, I believe, in like 1997. So it's been around for a long time. So that is kind of like the gold standard for Vietnamese vegan. I can't confirm whether it still is, but I loved it. I loved eating there. I still go back. Obviously, in L.A., there's so much great Mexican vegan now. It's (laughs) so, so good. It's so good. And then there's a huge vegan festival Mm. that happens every year in L.A. Oh, really? That's just also insane. So you'll just see all like the new kind of trucks and stands and food concepts that are starting to emerge. And for me, another one that I love, and of course, the U.S. is going to get this right, is there's a burger restaurant in Garden Grove called Nice Burger. (laughs) And and so it is so, so good. It's very, it's like a fast food chain, but like their burgers are so good. They really do it right. So I I had a great time eating there. Well, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to going back and then trying all these places. And just thank you for really joining us today because I think for me, food is really a way to connect with, you could say, the past, present, and future. And I think that you really symbolize that both as you brought in recipe, your mom's spirituality into their food, into how you're connecting now with a community here in Taiwan and inspiring that community to also go down this path. And then I think going back to the U.S. in the future, I think you'll definitely be a part of this broader network. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much. I really had a great time. Thanks for having me. It definitely something I didn't realize would become my passion, but I love this topic and it's so close to my heart. And I think that's why food is so important because it's close to everyone's heart. Really, thanks again for joining us today, Mai. It was really great talking to you about Orange County and just food in general. So with that, we'll end here. You've been listening to the AIT podcast, co-produced by the American Institute in Taiwan, Ghost Island Media, and American Spaces. Please share and subscribe and give us a follow on all our social media accounts. This episode is produced by me, Emily Waiwu. Teresa Yen is our production coordinator and editor. Our editing assistant is Gerald Williams. Engineering supervisor is Dino Lin. Graphics by Logan Dosher. Thanks to Chloe Ramon and Mikey Redding for assisting. <laughs>